0: This, this this is a Tape Deck Podcast.
1: Hey everybody, it's H, and we are back from our summer break with the latest installment of Dune Pod, your one-stop shop to enjoy the new Dune movies. This week, I'm joined as always by my co-host Jason. And he's like watching the people
2: come off, like, you know, slowly, and some of them are going some way. I'm like, are we gonna follow these f-ing people The baggage claim? Like, what are we doing here?
3: And by the host of the Recode Media podcast, Peter Kafka. It is wild that you're supposed to like Sean Connery.
1: We go back to 1981 and tackle Sean Connery's sci-fi Western classic, Outland. If you're enjoying the show, we need your help. Take a minute to leave us a five star rating and a review wherever you listen to your podcast or just tell your friends about us because it really does help new listeners find the show. We also have a Discord server where you can hang out with us whenever you want. A link is in the show notes. And now, without further ado, Outland. Jason, it's like... It's been so long. It has been long. I feel I rusty. I forgot what you
2: look like. I don't remember you looked with like with all these lines in your face.
1: Yeah, that's a new one, right? Uh, you know, the, the, the passage of time affects us all. Yep. Not you, though, apparently. I'm youthful. You getting Bobo? Bobo? You getting Botox? Is that Botox? Yeah. No, I'm not getting <laughs>
2: Botox. I would love that. I'm tan. I got tan from Malibu. How was I your got tan from Florida?
1: It was incredible.
2: Did you have a great time?
1: We had a great time. So I hung out with my brothers, uh, a lot of Dune Pod talk uh, going on, and my sisters and all my nieces. Uh, it was really phenomenal. We holed up at a spot in St. Augustine, Florida, and we just went body surfing every single mm-hmm. day, and it yep. was wonderful. I forgot how much I love body surfing, Jason.
2: Yeah, it's my I- calling. So just no board, no nothing. Mm -mm. Just like
1: catch the wave, catching the
2: wave. Mm -hmm. How big are these waves?
1: Small, small. These were like two foot, two foot waves. All right, not big, but a lot of fun. And Sam was incredible. Uh, Oh, did he catch some waves? My brother Rennie bought a little uh, surf floaty to put him on, and literally for like forty minutes on the last day, Thursday, they just went over and over again catching all these waves, what Sam called bone crushers okay and that's how that's how big he considered the waves and everything was wonderful and then after we finished we went back to the house and sam tripped while running uh in his flip oh, flops yeah. and he smashed his face open and had to go get stitches
2: uh but just one stitch right one sti- oh, one stitch one one stitch only
1: <laughs> one stitch yeah uh
2: that's great uh and he's okay
1: though He's fine, uh, and April got COVID.
2: And April got COVID, so the Z- the Dune Pod Curse is pretty alive and well. We did it's not still- run the Dune Pod Vacation Curse is going great. How'd you do? Well, we went on vacation, and the Thursday before Thursday night before we left, uh, we left on Saturday. Uh, Griffin got this stomach bug. If you go back and listen to the episode right before the this- same that you had. Exactly. In the Gold Toes Woes section of the previous episode, you'll hear me talk about how I've had like low grade uh, food poisoning mm-hmm. for like the last week. And it turns out it was a, it was a, some kind of GI bug. And mm. the good news about it is that it's not like super serious. It doesn't make you throw up that much, but like it does keep <laughs> a you sick bit. for like a week. It takes like a week to resolve. And so I basically got over it on like Thursday and then like that night Griffin started puking and being sick and so the whole 12 hour drive down to Malibu he was just shitting up a storm like we we blew up a Wendy's bathroom that like somewhere near Gilroy that like I try I'm I feel bad I there's just, I you know I did as much as I could to clean it up but like that Wendy's I wouldn't recommend going to for a while and then He basically so he basically was sick um for a week, like not seriously, but it meant that like you know he couldn't go swimming uh in the pool. Oh,
1: right. right. Which is a
2: bummer because that was like the main purpose of going down there. And then like sort of by the following Thursday, he was getting better and was eating again. Um, and then like we had one day where like everyone (laughs) was fine and then Juniper got it. Uh oh no. And so then she, yeah, she started she started getting sick and basically, yeah, was just like then she couldn't go in the pool. And so that was a, that was a bummer. Um, and like, yeah, so it was basically until the Sunday we drove back, like the day we left, like the whole family finally had solid shits, but uh, <laughs> like, it was the first time in three weeks.
1: Hey, gold ha, toes ha, woes. Hey, ha, oh. Yes. Thank you. That is rough. I, yeah, it was rough. It, it makes me ask the question, should we go anywhere anymore?
2: Uh, no, I, I personally don't think it's worth it. Uh, Crystal really likes going places, uh, and it's, <laughs> it is like, feels a little house crazy, um, uh-huh. from being inside with, uh, with the two kids for three years, which is totally fair. And she loved sal- Southern California. Uh, and so I think we might be going back there more, more frequently. I-, I liked being there. It was really nice to be somewhere like, you know, that was warm with a pool, uh, especially, you know, cause it's been kind of a cold summer in San Francisco mm. as it frequently is. Um, But like the actually being somewhere and like just, you know, and this is also true. Parents of young kids know when you go on vacation with your kids and it's just you and the kids, it's not a vacation for you. Like you're (laughs) you're tour directing this vacation experience Uh um, for the children. Uh, And so it's it's pretty exhausting uh, as well. Um, And then if your kids are sick and grumpy, then it's super not fun. A lot of work. I don't think people should go anywhere. Just let's stay inside. <laughs> There's plenty of good TV. I haven't seen Bluey season three is out. I've seen most of that. Okay, <laughs> I've seen most of that.
1: But we have new Lego sets, right? We've got a new Lego, LEGO sets set. to build. Sam and I are working on that every morning at like you know seven a.m. He comes down the steps and he's like, "Legos, ready? Yeah, let's go."
2: Don't go chasing waterfalls.
1: Mm, Stick to the Lego
2: sets that you're used to.
1: Well, I will say we also had a killer time up at Orcas. Uh, we went up and visited oh, some yeah. friends up there, Orcas Island. Uh, in the San Juan Islands. Good just sounds place. fancy.
2: Just sounds fancy. It is.
1: It's very cool. It's just beautiful uh, vibes. And you're like on the ferry with your car and you park it and get up and walk around. And just a spectacular place in the world. So I am somewhat pro going places. I'm also going to Banff next week so oh, uh, for God. a wedding. So, so rip uh, rip our future. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, I'm very excited uh, to be back uh, after this break. We've been off for almost three weeks. Mm-hmm. Since we recorded, yep. feels good. Feels good yep. to be back. But uh, we wanted to come back strong, and so we have coming in just a few minutes our dear friend, the host of the Recode Media podcast, Peter Kafka.
2: What a legend! Guy's great to a have genius. Great to have him.
1: Mm, yeah, and we're going to really get into. He just wrote an article about Warner Brothers uh, and all of the media consolidation that's happening. Uh, in the streaming wars. So we're going to get all into that. And then we're going to talk about the 1983 sci-fi Western classic Outland. Yeah. Mm. Can't wait. Uh, cannot wait. But quickly, next week on Dune Pod, it has all been leading to this. Mm. Finally, Jason, you mm. will be able to see for your very first time, Oliver Stone, John Milius, Basil mm. Pallodorus, mm. James Earl Jones, Arnold Schwarzenegger, the 1982 classic, Conan the Barbarian.
2: That's a wild list of people you, uh, you, you, you listed. It's, a, it's, an, it's an unbelievable, unbelievable cast of characters involved in making this movie.
1: It is unreal. And it's an, this is a five banger. Like when you, all films could be measured up against uh, Conan the Barbarian for sure. Crystal prefers Red Sonia. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> save it for the pod, for the other yeah. pod. Uh, you've seen it then?
2: I have I have seen it. <laughs> okay. I have seen it. I think. I think okay. I've seen it.
1: All right. Uh, do you remember Grace Jones?
2: Yes, I remember Grace Jones.
1: Okay, that's Destroyer. That sucks. That movie's terrible.
2: Okay. And probably one,
1: worse than Red Sonia.
2: I'm going to have to watch it again, I guess. There's a snake
1: in this one, right? There is a snake, yes. Okay. Yeah, you'll get into it. Uh, So we're really excited about that. Rejoining us, uh, my old Dungeon Master and dear friend from our Cloud Atlas uh, and Excalibur episodes, Brian Mosley.
2: Brian Mosley. This was promised to him for years, basically. Mm. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I I am going to hit up uh, Ryan Condal because he has the original artwork, um, Mm -hmm. the original poster artwork. and I'm going to see if we can get a little story behind that. That'd be great. Um, So we shall see. All right, well, so Jason, there was a little bit else that happened, uh yes. which I think I think we want to get into. Yes. Uh, and this is the beginning of a new segment. Oh my god. Max Petty. <laughs> yes. I love it. We did it. <laughs> yeah, so Max Petty
2: is a segment. That has been, you know, we, we sort of got into, uh, as a result of the, uh, Elon's war of aggression segment. Mm. And then we just, we realized that the pettiness really cannot be contained to just those updates. So Mm -hmm. we, and and sometimes there's not enough news on the Elon's war of aggression. Uh, and so we're, we're branching out. Um, But a lot of
1: suckers have been taking L's.
2: A lot of people have been taking L's as we also have talked about previous weeks and, and really the patron saint of this episode is the New Yorker's Isaac Chotner um mm. who like is so petty that anytime there's a media <laughs> appearance by Sarah Isker for example who like worked for DHS during the Trump administration right, he will right. go out of his way to pull that media appearance and tweet about it and be like I guess they couldn't find someone who wasn't dedicated to de- separating children from their parents to be honest <laughs> right, right, right. just absolutely legend shit he's he's just relentlessly on her neck and I I hope to aspire to that level of pettiness. All right, so who is
1: on the Max Petty list this
2: week? Okay, Here here's what we got. We will continue with our traditional uh, source of Max Petty, which is the Elon's War of Aggression. Yes.
1: Dispatches from the War of Elon's Aggression.
2: Oh, man. This may make the pod like a thousand years long, but honestly, it's worth it. Um, yes. So- uh, one key, one key update from a couple of weeks ago is that Twitter is gonna subpoena all of the bros in the All In crew, uh, like David Sachs <laughs> and Cal Canis Jamal. and those fucking morons who yeah. all said like this ridiculous <laughs> shit about how like the bot problem would be solved on Twitter. Thirty if days, Elon just brought in one self-driving car engineer he could solve it in 30 days if he brought in three oh who could he'll solve it in a weekend those fucking guys are getting subpoenaed for what they might have known uh, as materially non-public information <laughs> about the deal so i'm excited for that <laughs> elon sold seven billion dollars worth of tes- tesla stock after previously having said love it that uh he was done selling stock and uh-huh. he's saying that he's doing this in case he gets compelled uh, to buy the company and needs the money and doesn't have to then sell the sock in a in a panic. But right. like, it's also po- possible that this whole thing is this whole Twitter sock. was really just an opportunity Cover. for Elon to unload Tesla sock. That that seems likely. So good, good work to all the Tesla longs on <laughs> holding this fucking dog. Um, and then um, he also like briefly lied about buying Manchester United and said it was a meme. I don't know, whatever. I'm glad I don't care about English football, but people were, people were very confused for a short period of time. It's just great. I just love that people have to take this shit seriously and reporters have to like go out and like figure out what it all means. Oh, wasn't and there, the,
1: wait, wait, wasn't there a moment where they were like, Apple was going to buy Tesla and then make Elon the CEO of Apple? Wasn't that yes, like Yes, that a,
2: was briefly a rumor too. Like Not that. this week, but a long, a while ago. Yeah, 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 Um. My other favorite thing is in the actual court case between Elon and Twitter. T- Elon had filed this com- uh, this counterclaim, which was private. And Twitter, instead of just being like, we're going to seek to make it public, just quoted the entire claim in their response and made their claim public, which is great. Uh, (laughs) And and they just go line by line through the claim and like just debunk the whole thing, Uh which is like full of like meaningful stuff about like the back counting stuff. But it's also full of just Max Petty shit. Like at one point in the Elon (laughs) claim, he says. Twitter, and like just defining terms, like Twitter is a platform for containing 280 character tweets, and Twitter responds, false. Tweets can be up (laughs) up to to 280 (laughs) characters. (laughs) It's like, yes. Don't give him shit. So it's just great. It's all going great. I love it. A lot of L's. I Um, love it. Other L's taken uh, that we should call out in the Max Petty segment, not related to Elon's War of Aggression. The whole crypto collapse has just been great. Spectacular. Um, Like the the Tornado Cash money laundering machine was declared illegal. And my favorite part of that was that people just started using Tornado Cash to send money to high profile Web3 backers like the Andreessen Horowitz guys and uh, and like, you know, other celebrity backers of Web3 as like a way of implicating them because you can't even like receive cash through Tornado Cash because it's now been um, uh, it's now been so blacklisted love that. Great move. Whoever thought that one up. Um, and in general, like the collapse is just fantastic. Um, and then, oh yeah. and like, the, and, and, the- and,
1: and, well, just, just quickly on the, some of the, uh, the kind of bullshit that's going on. We work bro raised $350 million yes. and Jason Horowitz for something that's not even clearly a technology play. Yes. Um, and I was talking to a friend of mine about that and her take, she was like, well, we've just entered the phase of retreat where people are like, let's just give money to the rich white assholes uh, yes. because that's, that's like the only thing we know how to do left.
2: I love that. He's like, I've got a billion dollars of apartments and I'm going to rent them. They're like, wonderful. <laughs> we would love to invest in that seems like a
1: lot of money yeah for sure
2: the final update on people taking l's is facebook's horizon worlds had like some they launched it in france or something (laughs) and so zuckerberg like posted this thing on facebook of like him launching like you know horizon worlds france and so it's like his like fucking like you know, avatar. Nintendo Me Avatar in front of the Eiffel Tower. And it just looks like shit. Like they've been working on this for 10 years at a cost of 10 billion dollars. And it absolutely looks like trash. Yeah. Love it's it. It's insane. Yeah. It's this, it, this is, is great. the
1: future, Jason.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's just like it's legitimately. And like, I, part of it is that I'm old. I'm willing to concede that. But like, I still love new technology. Would love sure. for there to be new stuff. We are in the dumbest phase of consumer technology in forty years. Yeah. Like since the since the personal computer, we are in the dumbest phase of consumer technology in mm-hmm. forty years. Like mm-hmm. it is just stupid shit.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree, and and we're we're suffering, I think, from a lack of innovation. You know, basically since peaking with the iPhone, uh, you know, we haven't had the next great invention to come from that, um, and I think VR has was never going to be that, uh, yeah. and so I think that's a uh, uh, you know destined destined to fail. I guess the only other thing for Max Petty is the former president of the United States had his house raided by the FBI.
2: We're strongly in favor of. We're strongly in favor of uh, of, of retrieving top secret documents. From that turnip. Yeah, from that guy. Uh, so it's great. We look forward to covering these updates more uh, on Max Petty here on Pod.
1: Max Petty. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, how about if we get into some Dune news? Would you like to know more? Let's do it. Dune news. There's no Dune news. Well, the one piece of Dune news is that We're gonna talk about it with Peter when we get when we get there. But basically, okay. Dune Sisterhood is still alive and kicking.
2: Dune Sisterhood is alive and kicking. You have another one? What do you have? Francis Pugh looks absolutely <laughs> stunning okay. in this. I even forget what it was. I think, was it was a Vanity Fair or Harper's Bazaar? I don't remember. Yeah,
1: Harper's Bazaar. Harper's, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: She looks unbelievable on a cover shoot she did um, for that publication. Uh, that's all I got. That's okay. it. Let's do news. It,
1: shockingly, in three weeks, almost nothing happened, except I'm sure Denny and the crew have been busting their asses like, you know, yeah, 60 hours the a week, movie. 70 hours they're a They're making the movie. Making the movie. They're doing it. I love it. All right. Let's welcome some Discord friends. We had Ransom Jar... Blue Matt, Nevladon, Frizzy Co, Rusty B, Matt RA, and IP Zilk. A great
2: crew. Welcome all. Discord was a wonderful bomb for me during my very poop-filled vacation. I was happy to have <laughs> it with
1: me politics and tech channels in particular were popping off uh, the whole time which was which was a really good time yeah I have one more new segment uh, it's Ooh. not gonna be all the time but I thought every once in a while it would be fun to do and it is called <laughs> <laughs> So, I get a I get an email when we get reviews, and we got a one star review this week, uh, which I wanted to call out. Oh Uh, no
2: no no no! Why are you even giving this airtime? Oh come on, the trolls. So so what's amazing?
1: What's amazing is like all of the all like the legitimate claims that people could have, like you know, it's too long, it's a little self indulgent, you know, the hosts aren't as funny as they think they are, like whatever. It's never that. It's always the same shit. So this one, couldn't even say X's name when talking about Rango. Some of the funniest, self-imposed, meaningless moral rules I've ever heard. The secondhand embarrassment was too strong to take. (laughs) My favorite thing about the
2: situation is that there's all these people who, there's all these celebrities who fave like celebratory Instagram posts. Uh-huh. Um when the verdict came out, and then as these additional uh documents have been released showing like the dirt that he was gonna do uh to amber heard yeah they've like, they've gone back and unfaved the unfaved <laughs> the the post and someone noticed this and like went and like called up all these called people about? to comment and be like, why would you unfave it like what was the thing that made you what, what was the thing make you want to unfave it
1: amazing yeah amazing well all we can say to that person is
2: I, I hope we don't do it's a great sounder but I, I don't know if we need I don't know
1: that that I feels like that might be a sub segment of Max Petty all right we'll discuss it we'll discuss it offline uh, with Megan all right well so that's all I have for for Dune News are you ready to to get in it with Peter
2: yes let's all right, do it
1: here's our discussion with Peter Kafka <laughs> Pod is recorded in
3: front of a live studio audience yeah peter Kafka, you are back i'm back is this the first time you've had that sting for the live studio audience oh no that's an old school oh maybe we didn't a, play it for you really all right maybe i we thought i was live. being honored with a special sting
2: <laughs> no we got people listening this is a, this is a real this is a real show
3: so wild. Hello, people listening. Yes. Up.
1: We're, uh, yeah, we're also chatting in our Discord, Peter. There's been a move from social media to, uh, to you know, more private, quasi-private quasi uh, <laughs> quasi-pri- private networks. So uh, so we have people I've, in the dude I've Pod Discord. I've heard about
3: that. Mm. I marvel that you guys can do this podcast and interact with Discord at the same time.
1: I can't.
2: <laughs> okay. I, yeah. I can. Well, HS to drive the show. And so, like, I'm like, I'm, you know. You get to tune in. I'm like operating <laughs> the the call-in line.
1: All right, That's right. Well, so Peter, we, you know, really, really excited to have you back on. And I wanted to have you give us a breakdown on exactly what was going on in the current state of the streaming wars. Oh my and God. And you took that so seriously that today you released an article, House of the Dragon is coming to HBO. So is the Netflix chill. Yeah. yeah. So thank you for taking the assignment. Great article. Seriously. Yeah. Please. Can you tell us, first of all, is... HBO's Dune Sisterhood going to happen?
3: <laughs> That's the- no idea. I, saw, I did not ask Casey Bloys that. I asked him other stuff, but I did not.
2: Jesus. Missed that. opportunity. Sorry, I failed. <laughs> Cancel the pod. According to them they're casting for it. So it's allegedly still going forward. Mm.
3: If it's a big budget show they're excited about and think there's a big audience for they're, they're going to do right. it. But they're not doing everything. They canceled a big expensive JJ Abrams right. show. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So picking mom. and choosing. I thought that was
2: one of the interesting quotes you got out of Casey in that. Uh was that he's like, "Look, like there's been a lot written that makes it seem that we're not spending any more money, but actually we're spending more money than before."
3: Yes. Um, he was emphatic about the fact that their budget is going to go up even though they just laid off this is going to be a week or two before people hear this uh, they laid off 14% of their staff I think they're going to have much more brutal cuts Mm. across the rest of Warner Brothers Discovery and those are going to roll out Hmm. for a couple months Mm -hmm. Um, so the big picture is you know, Discovery bought slash was given slash foisted upon <laughs> itself. Uh, Warner, the thing that used to be called Time Warner, and then it's called Warner Media. Um, and they have promised uh, Wall Street they can find $3 billion in cuts. So they're cutting whatever they can. It's easy for them to cut stuff they hate, like mm-hmm. uh, like CNN Plus, right. which they didn't want to begin with. But they're going to cut up and down across the board. And then the other big idea is that, you know, under the last... The last owners, AT&T, bought – they never explained – they could never convincingly explain why they had bought Time Warner. It made no sense for the phone company to own an entertainment company. They kept trying to come up with excuses for it Mm. or rationales for it. But in the end, it was they wanted to own a Netflix because they thought if they owned a Netflix, Wall Street would give them them. a Netflix valuation. And Wall Street never did. And eventually they said, "Fuck it, uh, you take this," and <laughs> right. gave it to Discovery, <laughs> right. and now it's Discovery's problem to make it work. And and the other problem is the third problem is that Netflix is no longer Netflix. Exactly it's worth half of what it was.
1: And you would, you would say, and, and you've covered on Recode Media, um, as you've talked about this a lot, this happened across the whole industry, right? There's a reason why yes. we were all wondering two years ago, why does NBC have Peacock? Why is there Paramount Plus? Why am I paying for all these streaming services? And it was because the street had given the impression, or at least the executives at these companies, had taken the impression that if they launched a streaming service, their stock would go way up.
3: And, and convinced Wall Street they were going to spend a gazillion dollars, which is what Disney had been doing and which which is what Warner Media under AT&T thought it might do, even though it was never clear that the phone company actually was going to fund that. Mm-hmm. You know, companies like Paramount and, Pe- and Peacock have never convincingly uh, convinced Wall Street, convincingly convinced Wall Street that they're going to be a Netflix. Right. So it's less of a big deal for them, but they're all in the same boat, which is they were told the future is Netflix And now Wall Street's like, uh, be kind of like Netflix, but also make a lot of money (laughs) and also continue to have your old existing business, which we told you to get out of a year ago. So good luck. Yeah. What do we make of the Netflix,
2: Disney, the Netflix and Disney subscriber story uh, that came out
3: like, what was it, like a week ago? Something Mm -hmm. like that,
2: that that Disney Plus had caught up to Netflix on subscribers? Yeah.
3: So. Uh, it's really just a, it's a, it's a fight for journalists who give a shit about this. Okay. Uh, I don't think anyone else really cares, but it's, it's meant, so Disney put out a number and said, we have 220 million subscribers for our streaming stuff and they put that at the top of the release and they very much wanted people like me to say, Disney has caught up to Netflix, um, which they have technically. And then everyone on the sort of Netflix side of the ledger says, yeah, but you're like triple counting your subscribers. Ah, Um, I, I have a bundle of, I get Hulu and that means they've also given me ESPN plus even though I didn't ask Ah. for it. Um, And I also have Disney Plus, so I'm counted as three. Ah. Wait, so
1: there is not absolute truth in metrics being (laughs) provided? metrics or
3: lies? (laughs) You can, you can, it is truthful and also, they will not get, they will not get sued by the SEC for misleading investors, but they're also not being entirely candid. Right, right, Hmm. right.
2: Interesting.
1: It does seem to me, at least, that there's some amount of healthy pullback that is happening, right? When you have all of these films, I saw... Uh, the gray man, you know, has fallen off a cliff in terms of viewership. Yeah. So like it was supposed to be this $200 million, you know, um, thing to spawn a whole, uh, you know, a whole franchise. And it looks like that's, even though they're moving forward, that's not going to work. Or $200 million for all these Chris uh, Pratt movies on Prime. Um, it's just been a little out of hand, I would say.
3: I, I mean, it's, I think it's more of a problem execution. I don't know why Netflix is so not good at making movies. Right. <laughs> uh, cause they've been pretty consistently good at TV shows right? and there's lots of, right. and, and lots of people make stuff that you and I, you guys don't like and I don't like, but is popular right. with other people. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they clearly wanted, you know, the one thing Netflix hadn't been able to do was figure out how to make a giant blockbuster franchise movie. Mm-hmm. They've done it with TV. They did it with stranger things. They've done it with Bridgerton mm-hmm. and they just can't get it right. And but they're going to keep going after it and no one's, and you know, Amazon is going to do their billion dollar Lord of the Rings prequel next Mm -hmm. month. I don't know that they're going to get it right either. It's hard to make movies as we keep Mm -hmm. talking about on the show. Like it's hard to make good movies. Um, I don't know why they're bad at it, Um, but they're going to, they're not, they're not going to pull back. No one thinks that streaming is going to go away. I think they're just going to be more judicious and cautious about some of the spending. Um, and 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 Netflix, by the way, you know their their concession is all right. We're no longer going to increase our content budget next year, mm. but their content budget is it's eighteen huge. billion yeah, yeah. dollars. It's so they should be able to make a couple good right. movies. Yeah.
1: <laughs> the other thing that I saw that was kind of a bummer was it sounded like HBO was going to be minimizing somewhat the um, acquisition of outside films to put on the network in favor of focusing on the internally generated content, and that does seem like the f- like the fear, right? Like that's why. In the 20th century, you had studios getting broken up from owning the theaters, right? You wanted kind of more competition and and more just sort of like a broader set of things being distributed.
3: Um, that's that's been going on for a long time though. There's a whole thing called FinSin that got that stopped in like 20 years ago, and mm-hmm. all the TV networks were supposed to make their own TV shows, and they try to, but they'll still buy stuff from other people if they want to or can or think it's important. I think the the one interesting way to look at the contraction in a positive way is if we stop making so much stuff, maybe some of the stuff we make will be better simply because all of the talented actors, writers, directors, right. showrunners won't be spread out. I had BJ Novak from mm-hmm. The Office on my show a couple of weeks ago, and he went on this whole rant about how comedies suck, and his assertion was – if you could get, that you couldn't make The Office today because all the people who were working on The Office would be working on 20 other shows. And I think there might be some truth to that. The flip side of that is, yeah, but you know, part of the upside of the boom was we're giving people who didn't go to Harvard and work on The lampoon a chance to make stuff, people of color. What happens to that? And you know, you can pick whatever lens you want. I think to argue pro or con. Mm, I like that. That was a great Bj Novak interview. I
2: thought that was really interesting. He's basically, yeah, he basically said at the end of season one, we had like twenty people who would have just gone on to do other things, and like you know, it was mm-hmm. like Mindy would have had her own show and all that stuff. And and mm-hmm. the, the
3: and Greg Daniels, who made The Office, is making shows for Amazon and Netflix, yeah. and I think they all suck. Right, frankly. he's a nice guy, but so and you know, I'm sure he's gotten the resources he needs to make them, but they're just not good. I mean, it's just hard. It's hard to make get good really stuff. good
1: stuff. Yeah, fascinating. Well, that is an incredible overview. Um, obviously, we'll take away from that. You're going to follow up with us offline and put us in touch with Casey so that we can check in on Dune Sisterhood. Absolutely. Um, but for po- for folks that want to get more of what we've just had, that is the Recode Media podcast. And every week, just incredible insights into really, what's going really on. Really great podcast. Yeah, a yeah. lot, a lot of fun. There's
3: stuff on the on Vox.com's website. That yeah, write once a week too. You can get that for free as well.
1: Yep, yeah, definitely check that out. Well, Peter, we're stoked to have you here. And you hit us up. So, your lineage on Dune Pod so far uh, Lawrence of Arabia, Michael Clayton. Yep. And to complete the trio here, the Trinity, Sean Connery's 1983 sci fi Western classic, Outland. Five bangers only. <laughs> only
2: for Kafka do we do five banger movies.
3: I I pitched this one. You guys asked me. Yeah. I was very gracious to do the other two. I'm like, that's great. But, you know, the thing that I love about your podcast is that early 80s nostalgia itch that you are scratching for me. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what is in that genre that you guys haven't done? I'm like, I remember Outland was a big deal when I was a kid, but I don't hear anyone talking about it. I wonder if it's still good. So I I suggested this not having watched it in probably 20 years. Yeah. 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 Well, you
1: know, you know me, I, I always let the guests choose uh, without any editorializing, so, <laughs> so we, were, we were really happy uh, to, <laughs> to get you here and talk about this, because this movie definitely uh, had an impact for me as well. All right, well, what do you say? Shall we get into it? Let's get into it. Let's do it. All right, here we go. Outland is a standoff on the frontiers of exploration and our will to set our own fate. William O'Neill is a federal marshal who has just started his latest shitty assignment overseeing the safety of the thousands of workers on a remote mining facility on Jupiter's inhospitable moon, Io. But when he unravels the mystery of a spate of seemingly unconnected worker suicides that points to a larger pattern of abuse by their corporate overlords, O'Neill must decide how far he is willing to go to protect his people. Abandoned by management, his own deputies, and even his wife, he must face a looming showdown when the assassins dispatched to kill him in cold blood arrive. With only his determination, and the help of the feisty and capable Dr. Lazarus, can he bring justice to this corrupt world, or will he find himself left for dead in the Outland? Yeah. Yeah. Woo. What a movie. Woo! I have to take off my sweatshirt.
2: <laughs> Jesus. Oh, did you start drinking? We can't see because we have video off. But are you or did you how many beers are we in at one o'clock in the afternoon on a Wednesday? The school year is Judge back, it. and that's that's HSQ. And it's fall and time to start after uh, lunch beers.
1: <laughs> wow. Okay. It's like nothing happens. Like we weren't even uh we didn't even miss a step.
2: Have you been here?
1: Have you have you seen this movie before? H this Outland. Outland, yeah, is a is a classic of my childhood that okay. I watched. I watched many times. I think we had it probably on beta, um, or wow, for sure uh, by VHS times. Um, and I I loved this movie. I was a big wow. Connery fan. He, you know, I I watched a little bit of Connery and then. Um, you know, Roger Moore uh, was my main through the 70s. Um, but I appreciated Connery and and I just loved science fiction. So like anything I could get my hands on.
2: Yeah, I love I love I love Sean Connery, love Sean Connery as Bond, obviously love science fiction, had never seen this movie until two nights ago and didn't hmm. know a single thing about it. Uh and I think it's because it was rated R uh in 1981. Okay. and like was just like and it is a little gory. And so I just think was not something we would have brought into the home, Mm -hmm. Uh, even though like it was I had pretty permissive parents. Uh, But yeah, like I had never seen this movie before. It was a a fresh viewing of a 80s sci fi classic, which is a real a real treat at my advanced age.
3: Oh, I'm excited for it. I want to hear more about it. I, I definitely did not see it in a theater in my mind. This and Alien were the same movie. Yeah, because I didn't see them. Yeah. in the theaters, but everyone I knew in like grade school knew about the Chess Buster, mm-hmm. and I felt like everyone knew about the the decompressing uh, helmet explosion stuff. Yeah, um, I think it might have been a movie that I saw like a Mad Magazine parody of before I saw it because oh, that was the. Wow, and I'm pretty sure I watched it like an early cable back when like. If your friend had HBO, you arranged to have a sleepover in your mm-hmm. friend's yeah, house totally. so you could watch. Porkies and Ninja <laughs> and This. Um, and I, I loved it, and I think I probably revisited it once in my twenties, and I, I haven't seen it since. It's I think it's also my first Sean Connery lead role that I'd ever oh, seen. I wow. saw so in Time Band, oh, wow. which was the same year. Mm-hmm. But I had never seen the – I'm pretty sure I had not seen the the early Bond movies at that point because I was, like you said, a Roger Moore guy. Hmm. Or that's what, that's what Bond was. So this was my introduction to Sean Connery.
1: That's amazing. Mm. Interestingly enough, Connery had to sneak away one morning to go shoot a pickup scene uh, with Gilliam for Time Bandits. Uh, and Hyams, crazy. Hyams let him off to go to like some estate or whatever uh, to film the shot. <laughs> what,
2: what a wild
3: time
1: right call. Sean Connery was having in the early 80s, man. Just like a, a lunatic time in his life. It was. So if you, if you look at this run going into this, so we have Meteor, Cuba, <laughs> Outland, yeah. Time Bandits, Never yeah. Say Never Again. Yeah. And then five years later, Highlander, Name of the Rose, Presidio. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade and The Hunt for Red October.
2: Yeah, we talked about this when we did Time Bandits, and basically there was this period of time where Sean Connery, for reasons, was just unemployable, uh, and like he he just needed the checks, and so was just doing real weird stuff. I mean, we and Zardoz too, I guess. I mean, we we've we've really we've really plumbed the depths of (laughs) of Sean Connery's nadir.
3: But to be clear, like I think he's great yeah, in this. he is and great in this. It's kind of wild that he didn't get more space cowboy roles to be, because he's a really good dead-end space marshal in this. And he doesn't have to do an accent, so yeah. that saves us a lot of worry. Right. And I think he's great.
2: <laughs> it is wild watching Sean Connery in this movie uh because you're just like oh that's a movie star like it's clearly i mean it's Mm -hmm. clearly sean karen but you're just like oh he's completely compelling like in this movie uh it's just it's just strange that there was some period of time in which hollywood was like i don't know about that fucking guy uh gonna take a pass on you yeah
1: i was just thinking just i don't know why this popped in my head but uh i mean last week we did dead zone can you imagine if it had been christopher walken
2: yeah that'd be great That'd be great.
1: <laughs> Apparently Gene Hackman, James Brolin and Eastwood were all considered quote unquote considered for the role. Um,
2: yeah. Eastwood's a little too on the nose for a, for space, sure. a mm-hmm. space cowboy maybe, but
1: for sure. Yeah. And so, so very specifically, so this is Peter Hyams um, who directed this. He had done Capricorn one and, mm-hmm. and a number of other films before this. I love Capricorn one. Um, and then went on to go t- uh, 2010 and time cop. Um but he really wanted to make a western, and he realized that westerns were no longer in fashion, and that sci-fi was the way to get it done. So, um, Peter, what's your take? A lot of people have said this is you know sort of like a direct homage to High Noon, uh, Gary Cooper.
3: Yeah. So I I didn't know that until I pitched this movie, and then Googled, mm-hmm. and so I watched High Noon last night. Oh, and cool! It is, it is definitely a riff on High Noon. Yeah. It's not a remake of High Noon. There's a couple key themes, right? Guy going up against the bad guys with no help from the frontier town, mm-hmm. um, and then critically, one of the cool things about this movie is the countdown clock yes. in the last mm-hmm. third when the bad guys are arriving. And High Noon's version of that is it. The movie is in real time so gary cooper knows the bad guys are coming at noon and so you're watching mm. him it play out while he's trying to get the town to help him oh, out wow. and they don't. And, um i gotta say i know high noon is supposed to be a classic it, i don't think it works holds up right. at all huh. but it's an interesting artifact um i'd much rather watch outland
2: genre wise this movie is kind of interesting because like obviously there's the cop and there's like the you know Marshall in a small frontier town element, the Western elements are very clear. But like, there's this other aspect where it's this sci fi thriller with a lot of mm-hmm. gore, you know, like where it's, mm-hmm. it, it's, it kind of feels more alien ish than it does Western ish.
3: Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's super alien. Yeah. It's Jerry, same, same score, Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah, totally. Which I don't, I don't think it doesn't work here. It's also, even though it's, an, it's a 1981 movie, it's very 70s in terms yes. of like it's anti-capitalist. Um, even though it's Sean Connery, he's kind of an anti-hero. He's got that speech at the end about why, why are you doing this? He's yeah. like, it's the system, man. I just don't like the system and I'm just trying to, I don't like it. Yeah, and I'm just trying to muck it up, yeah. which is a very sort of, 7 I'm not doing this for anyone's glory or to restore justice or anything like that. I just, I don't like being ground down by the man. Uh, so that's that's not that's not a Western element.
2: It wasn't, and that was like one of my notes too on just like the thematic of the movie with sean connery being this marshal is that like yes there is this sort of anti-capitalist like the the nameless corporation is the bad guy you know Mm -hmm. similar to alien you know once again well Um, jason
1: sorry it's it's con amalgamated uh, amalgamated, that's part of the peter Hyams cinematic universe because he used it in a couple of the movies but yes (laughs) it's a
2: great name con amalgamated (laughs) con Conamag. mag um but like security is robust on this mining operation. Yeah. Like, this is like, it's basically got the security of a prison. Like, you uh-huh. know, it, it's got like about the same ratio of like, you know, of correction officers to miners as you'd see. As you'd <laughs> right. see in a it, it sp- is a prison. Yeah. It is a prison, yeah. right? They're.
3: They can't go anywhere and they're all they're all coked up or capped yeah. up, it turns out. Mm-hmm. And so you got a bunch of a bunch of not very good prison guards with shotguns. Yeah. Right, right. Um, and I definitely like the the uh I guess it's kind of steampunk kind of nature yeah. of like we're gonna bring stuff not even just from the seventies and eighties into the future, but like shotguns. Yeah, yeah. shotguns is all we got. In. That's all you need. <laughs> so you can screw it's it. Not you, shotguns and
2: some kind of sniper. Sniper shotgun. Shot- <laughs> you don't see the sniper shotgun very often. Not often.
1: often. Not a lot of stopping power in that. Um, well, so just to just to get into this movie, and we don't have to walk straight through this. It's a pretty straightforward um, story, um, so we can feel free to jump around. But I did want to call out. I was immediately stopped just on the opening credit because it was the Lad Company logo.
2: Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: R.I.P. to the god. Yes, laddie, uh, who we lost this year. But I just learned that John Williams did the sting for this logo, and it's a great. Of, of course, he did. Yeah, great intro. Really, really awesome. Why
2: haven't we? Why haven't we tried to contract with John Williams to do the stinger for for doing for H Industries? Because so we can have,
1: <laughs> because we can Toby have Forsman did it, uh, okay. but. We, we should get. Uh, we should just take a look at uh, Lad Company. I know they did. What was the movie they did? Somebody please look up for me. Albert Finney. Uh, it's like Looker. Is that right? Mm. Do you remember that one, hmm. Peter?
3: I, the name is familiar, but that that's I a classic. A, yeah. uh,
1: and I feel like that was a, that was right. a Lad
3: Company. There are no Golan and Globus to me. So <laughs> that's I can't, right. I can't
1: place that's them right. right.
2: It's an amazing. It's an amazing
3: list of movies.
2: Looker, yeah, 1981. Also in 1981, Chariots of Fire and Body Heat and Jesus. outland mm. what a 1981 i mean just like if your studio went out of business after one year and you'd i mean like you know what what else do you need really it's a good um, start the right stuff blade runner holy shit yeah the police academy
3: <laughs> yes all right lad company they're the new goal in Global. Right? i take it just right. the, the absolute best the That's absolute pre- best that is pretty strong Pretty strong. Well,
1: so uh, I just want to ask a couple of questions. One theme that runs through this film uh, all the way through i love the sound effect of the typing um, on the yeah. computers yeah. um, but there's a lot of exposition of both watching Connery typing stuff and watching things yeah. kind of like unfold yes. one character at a time um, which i thought was hilarious
2: but there's a hell of a lot of typing in this movie a surprising a lot. amount of typing
1: <laughs> i do appreciate a
2: movie that starts with just random astronomical facts about the jovian satellites
0: though uh-huh, i think uh-huh.
2: i think more movies like should just begin with like you know like regardless of what you're doing, like Martin Scorsese is doing another gangster movie. It should be like earth 93 million <laughs> miles from the yes. sun like or whatever. Like, you know, it should just like, it should always orient us like diameter. It's 10, much, it's much better than a voiceover. Yeah, exactly. Right? It is much better than a voiceover. I thought the same thing. I was like, this is a great idea for exposition is just like, do some facts about what you're seeing. It makes it seem like a little wiki
1: article. Including uh, pronunciation. Yeah, It's great. <laughs> It's just great. <laughs> uh, can you tell me, Jason, what's your take on the state of the of the earth, where we have the League of Industrialized Nations? Like, that seems a little bit like, <laughs> well, yeah, just again, like
2: again, <laughs> it's just basically like it, this is like the post capitalist critique of the late seventies, early eighties, where it's just corporations like, you know, rule, corporate, <laughs> yeah, corporations rule. Yeah, exactly. Um, which is fine, you know. It's that's fine. It turned out not to be our biggest problem but is that where we're it, going
1: like do we have a chance of changing this or is that it, like is there a reason why this theme has been here forever and there just literally is no stopping it?
3: elon is gonna save us oh, elon Jesus. is gonna save us from the corporations i trust him
1: i think it was i think it was like
2: people just saying i think it was like sort of a cold war theory which is like okay well like if the big bad is not communism like what if capitalism you know but too much right. um <laughs> And like that's that's fine. Uh, it just turns out not to. It turns out to not be the major, the most major problem.
3: It's ever. also the movie companies themselves in the '70s are being acquired by a mega. Right, 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 right. Western Yeah I- right, uh, right. at one point owns one of the big studios. <laughs> Uh, they're all getting sucked up into the conglomerate after the the easy rider. Days. Oh
1: God! What is the thirty rock with the uh the what is it the microwave company or the wig company? Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. And, and and as we talked about during
2: Blade Runner, uh, and you know, shout out to the friends Rosie and Jason on X Ray Vision Pod. They did Blade Runner nineteen eighty two recently, and they talked about this in there too. Like, there's this big, there's this big phobia of Japan. Uh, and like sort of losing corporate, like losing the corporate mm. contest to Japan that happens in mm. the early 80s. And like so.
3: It, that goes all the way into the 90s. Yeah, the you get for 90s. sure. The,
2: yeah, the rising sun stuff. And like, you know, uh, mm-hmm. like you get that whole theme of, OK, like, you know, maybe there are no national boundaries anymore. And it's instead just these corporations which kind of suck everything up.
1: Mm. Mm. Well, the, the second major theme for me, this movie looks fucking gorgeous. Yeah. The, the sets, all of, and the costumes, and like this, the whole like opening long shot of the, the workers getting off the elevator yeah. and moving mm-hmm. across and then talking. And um, you know, the, the miner who is freaking out that he's covered in spiders, um, who opens a suit. You guys recognize who that was?
2: Yeah, that's that's Cliff Clavin. <laughs> that's Cliff, yeah,
1: that's our guy. Oh, that's
2: Cliff. Yeah. Yeah.
3: I kept trying to, because f- I saw his, his name in the cast. I could not figure out who he was. And of course, because his You'll never make it exploded. past the first marker. Yeah. <laughs> Your tauntaun will freeze before you reach the first marker. Then I'll see you in hell. Then I'll see you in hell. When I booted this movie up again, I'm like, oh, it's it's going to look dated. It's not going to hold up. But that's only the exterior. Totally. Yes. Space stuff. The interior And as soon as they're unreal. inside, which they're 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 that they're that way the whole time it's basically again like a prison industrial movie it looks great i mean i think this whole movie save the score could run today as yeah the
2: the interior that scene the living and like bathroom scene like where it's like they've got like all their little like cells and Mm -hmm. they they go back to that a bunch of times uh there's a lot of like man-ass in this movie in a way that I don't (laughs) think is like meant to be erotic for any particular audience. Right. It's just like, there's a lot of just like sort of like long johns like button a long johns shot and like guys
3: like <laughs> it's got it's got to stink so bad oh, yeah. I, that's I, I don't think they're showering on the regs
2: exactly that was my thought i was like this is not appealing like i don't think it's meant to be but like i don't know why we keep cutting back to this uh it was it but you do get the sense of the claustrophobia from that and you get the sense that they built a giant ass set for this movie like they, they really, really did right
1: yeah I, yeah. yeah, there is surprisingly little behind-the-scenes info, and I just I couldn't find I couldn't Where find they anything. Shot this? Yeah, but it absolutely it's blew wood. me away. Oh, I know they did. I know they did it at Pinewood, but um, I just was trying to figure out like, was there anything that they used from some giant industrial set because those those areas were so. Huge.
3: I mean, the the biggest part is the, is the is the living quarters, yeah, right? and they they use it to have the the chase at once. Great. The rest of it's all just a series of rooms. They also do a really good job of like. Especially by the end, you have a pretty good idea of the layout or why that one corridor is important, mm-hmm. at least. like you're, You have a pretty good sense of the space, mm-hmm. which I think is also super smart and something you don't often get.
1: Well, shout out to you, Philip Harrison, uh, for production design on this film. Because to me, that is, that is one of the major triumphs. Uh, it just looks so freaking good.
2: They um, spent uh, it's a, we've done this comparison before, but they spent a Star Wars amount of money on this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, like is the initial budget of 12 ballooned to 18. <laughs> so it's like, you know, they, they definitely they definitely had the they definitely had
3: some cost centers uh, to, to build out all that stuff. But they right. did the, they You know, they, if you see the other movies that are sort of post Star Wars from this era that look like shit it's like well we'll do space lasers too right and it's just someone drawing a line and they're not doing the model work and here they just dispense with all yeah. of that and just say we'll just make cool sets yeah. but
1: this looks a lot better than for instance we just did enemy mine which we loved um but this looks so far above and beyond um what they did there from yeah. from a, pr- a production uh standpoint
2: yeah it looks really good
1: phenomenal um not quite so good, um, I love the wife uh as we go to the O'Neill's, <laughs> but Polly, like the he dubbing.
2: he was someone's <laughs> kid that was clearly i googled
3: a, him it was, i googled him was uh he's a- wor- he was a working actor okay. a working kid actor uh he's now retired he's fifty four okay um and he he he's the worst thing in the movie, yeah. Uh, and he's also a plausible explanation for why Sean Connery doesn't want to leave the job <laughs> right. and go back to Earth. He's like, ah, you, "You're not great, kid." Yeah. And it's it's by, it's the worst scene. Uh, there's one other big problem with the movie, but the, but the kid is, I think, the worst.
1: Part. So they they I thought it was just ADR, but it turns out he was dubbed for for all of his lines. Uh, but yeah, oh, that that was really tough. Tough I kid. Do- I do love, though, all-time line read. The wife is really bummed about being here. It's week two out of a 52-week stint at the shitty station, um, and she's really bummed about it. And She gives him a big kiss goodbye because he doesn't know she's about to leave him, and he just says, I'm going to go. You smell good. <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised that didn't save the relationship. Right.
3: The kid was Nicholas Barnes, and his last acting role was something called Broken in 2008, Mm. parentheses, short film. So I don't think he was doing a ton of work, but he was working. Mm. Mm.
1: So I love the welcome meeting and the tension that's established immediately. So Peter Boyle. um, Peter Boyle. Okay. As Shepard, he says, Good work only comes from contented people. I work these people hard, and I, uh, I let them play
0: hard. So, when it comes time for them to let off steam, you have to allow them some room. As long as no harm's done, just give them a little room. Understand what I'm saying, Marshall?
1: He is amazing.
2: Peter Boyle's great. A uh, surprising choice for the bad, for like the big bad. Uh, mm. uh, Peter Boyle and is so good. So good. So
3: good at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: He's in a funky, he's in like a funny part. Of, I mean, it's just funny for him to be doing this like five years after <laughs> Taxi Driver. And, mm. Like, you know, it's just like a funny, it's just like a funny, like, change of events <laughs> in Peter Boyle's career. And he is a, he's an intense looking dude. Like, I was, I was concerned. Yeah. I mean, this is Frankenstein,
3: right? From Young Frankenstein. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I was yeah. thinking
1: of. Young Frankenstein was my Peter Boyle yeah. for sure.
3: Yeah. <laughs> uh. No, and it's good because he has to be plausibly. They make him someone who's bigger and more physically intimidating than Sean Connery, which is not a given. Mm. Yeah. Um, so that's impressive. And they give him the, the little paunch and then yeah. the dumb hat and then the hair sticking out. And you totally see him as a bully who also just wants to, like, get the job done and leave.
1: Burn on the reds! <laughs> But he is like he is like a classic up and coming middle management scrambling to get, you know, up into the top tier yeah. and willing to. Yeah. Do it.
3: Like normally that's Paul Reiser. or yes, someone yes, like yes. Yeah, looking. Yeah. And here I like that it's him and he's golfing and drinking whiskey. Yes. Um, and just killing time to get before he can leave because he doesn't want to be there anymore than Sean Connery wants to be there.
2: He's sort of the evil. Ver- it's funny because like he's sort of the evil version of Bruce Willis's character from Armageddon. Like you know, like a, right. a rough a roughneck, like you know, blue collar worker doesn't have time for the niceties of life, but like wanna, wants to look out for his guys. Um, and like you know, by like the time like Bruce Willis like takes that over, he's like the hero of the story. Uh-huh. Um, it's a it, but it, it's like pro capitalism. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, Armageddon is. is yeah, you know, I mean, like the whole the, the whole thing is is a very jingoistic movie. So yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. I haven't revisited it uh, since seeing it in the theaters, I don't think, but um, I'll have to take that under advisement. That's no
2: salesman. That's <laughs> your father.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so the other character, and this movie does hinge on on the actors uh, and, and the characters, is Doc Lazarus, who I absolutely love. Um, her immediate entrance, uh, <laughs> so weird. She says, who are you anyway? Are you Dr. Lazarus? Yes. Take two aspirin and call me in the morning. That's a doctor joke. Are you the new marshal? Yes. I'd like to talk to you for a few minutes. I got an alibi. I got four people who swear they were playing poker with me. I've never heard that one before. That's really funny. Sorry. <laughs> but I also do love him coming back at the end of the scene where he says, I would like a report of all of these incidents that have happened during the past six months. I'd like it really soon, or I might just kick your nasty ass all over this room. That's a martial
0: joke.
3: Your nasty ass. That is like a record scratch, and you pause the movie. You're like, what yeah. the fuck <laughs> <laughs> did he just say? I get that it was a different time, but like, what?
2: Yeah. <sighs> your nasty ass. I'm going to knock all over the station. Excuse well, you. Well, he said
1: to Polly too, when Polly's like, I don't want to do my braces or whatever. He's like, you'll be cat." counting your teeth or something if you're not
2: (laughs) can i say that at this point in the movie after like the peter boyle intro which i didn't think peter boyle's like explanation of what he wanted to have happen was too unreasonable he's like look like this Mm -hmm. is a shitty situation we're fucking digging for shit on io and -hmm. like my guys like want to just like you know chill out or whatever like just you know be cool like don't put people in the drunk tank seems reasonable and then Sean Connery comes in, (laughs) calls the nice doctor lady a nasty ass. I'm like, maybe Sean Connery's a little too much of a tryhard in this movie. And maybe he should just chill a bit. And like this giant security force of like 10,000 cops should all just keep their shotguns in the little cage that the shotguns live in with no
3: lock and just calm, calm down a bit. Just everyone chill
2: out. Make the best of it.
3: It is wild that you're supposed to like Sean Connery after that line.
2: Yeah. And you still do. You
3: you still do, but you're like, wow. It's
2: like his wife doesn't like him. His kid could go either way. The the doctor's obviously down on his side. Like maybe he's just on at this really bad job for a reason because he's just not particularly good at it.
3: Could be. Which they I, point out several times. Like, you're, you're, mm-hmm. on, you're, you're here in this armpit of the universe for a reason. Like, you're not a hotshot cop. Yeah. So I don't know what you're trying to do here. Right. Yeah.
1: Totally. Well, and that's a running theme, right? So the doctor, she says the same thing. When she's doing the investigation, you know, she says she's over her head, uh, you know, as a klutz trying to figure it out. A wreck like me. Such a smart piece of equipment and a wreck like me trying to run it. You know, you haven't your medical all-star here. Company doctors are like ship's doctors. Most are one shuttle flight ahead of a malpractice suit. Which is a great line. Mm -hmm. Her performance is great. Frances Sternhagen, she played Carter's Nana on ER, um, but she was just really terrific.
2: Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, she's good. She's good.
1: So these guys are basically shooting up red juice. Uh, so my first note is: anytime you have to take a gun and you shoot it and it makes a really loud noise like that and then it fucks you up big time, like that's a problem for me.
3: My biggest problem with the what is it? Uh, it was your it was your polydichloric. Yes. Euthamol uh, uh, or called. whatever. Yeah. Ethanol. It, and this, and it's a just, I think the whole movie's plot breaks here is the premise is that Peter Boyle wants this stuff on board so the workers work harder and faster and then they eventually flame out and kill themselves or other people. Mm-hmm. But then you would just give that to everyone. Right. 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 You would just put it in their food or whatever. You wouldn't like have an individual drug dealer going to one guy and letting yeah. you shoot up. But that part doesn't make any sense. And later on, it's sort of like, it turns out that he's doing this sort of, not sanctioned by the company and he'll be in trouble if he gets found out. And I just right. don't understand the rationale that he's getting better output from the workforce by drugging them up because he's only drugging a few of them at a time, yeah. right? I, that that's the part I just don't get in the movie. It doesn't de- doesn't make me it doesn't detract what I the pleasure I get out of the movie, but it does make me go, what? Why, why not just make the plot better?
2: Yeah, it's like if you had if you had like Pro Vigil. But like instead of just distributing it to like make people to productive, like you created this like illicit underground drug sales ring, like, you know, where like it it just like made it uh, both worse, worse distribution uh, (laughs) and like more
1: dangerous. But it's a monetization opportunity.
2: Yeah, I don't know. Doesn't (laughs) seem like it helps them move up the corporate ladder. They need to work on their. It
3: seems like he would just introduce it to the air or put the in their in their watered down drinks. Or whatever it is so they're all amped up and they need to give they need to give sean like the
2: the colonoscopy cocktail they need to give him they need to give him the demerol and the valium so he just chills out and like allows people (laughs) allows them to just like you know play their io video golf
1: yeah exactly stop making waves Stop making waves. So there's a whole bunch of investigation that happens as, as O'Neill's running around. He gets blood samples from uh from one of the drug dealers that he's able to take out after this big chase. Um, they do the molecule analysis. They do them mm, the, so good. Great sound effects. They type
2: for a long time in that a scene. long time. There's a lot of insert shots of her hitting one key after another, just like single. Like I was when they cut back like a fifth time to the keyboard. I was like, I think we got it, <laughs>
3: my guy. I think we understand that <laughs> she's. The- t- I the think. flashing function keys on <laughs> yeah. top. And then you can tell when she's discovered the new synthetic drug because the computer goes
1: do 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 Yeah.
3: <laughs> right. It's great.
1: Right, right. I, I mean, this is probably just new computer stuff, right? And they're like, people are obsessed with computers. It's a yeah, little thing right now. Totally. Um, but it was it was definitely too much. Uh, the sample that I that I took that we'll be playing right now of Connery doing his computer investigation was like 90 seconds of no dialogue, just only typing the computer going back and forth. Uh, <laughs> 90 seconds. It just kept going. I couldn't, I couldn't believe That's it. amazing. Yeah. Uh, but I do love stuff like the strip club and... The soundtrack in the strip club that reminded me of Taffy Lewis's place.
2: Yeah, um, the, the soundtrack was pretty good. For 1981, it was kind of a good techno track. The yeah. other thing I thought about it in, the, in the strip club, first of all, that place looked, that was taking up a lot of real estate in a place yeah. where guys are like apparently mm-hmm. shitting in a bucket or whatever. They gave a lot of space <laughs> to the, the nightclub. The second thing I thought about is how shitty of it a gig is it to become like a go-go dancer in the nightclub on the Io mooning on the Io moon colony? Like rough. to be like you know to be sent out to be like a, a a sex worker on like the Jovian moon colony is a real is a real tough one.
3: Mm. It's 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 somewhere below like community theater. Uh, Dinner theater, I think. Yeah, right, right. Um, but you know, as Peter Blow says, you know, my my hookers are clean and some of them are good looking. Yes, right. So, <laughs> uh, he has some standards.
1: Well, <laughs> and I like the idea that it's sort of sanctioned, right? Like this notion that that, that yeah. there are these comfort elements that they're that they're trying to provide, but it all feels extremely grimy, um, as we've discussed before on the pod.
3: Yeah, it's very saloon hall and like every good western, and every good, you know, all the Deadwood saloon stuff. Like, yeah, these guys—if you're gonna work these people to death, you have to let them burn off steam.
1: There were metal swinging doors, uh, which I thought yeah. was awesome. That uh, I
3: noticed too.
2: Yeah, it was really funny.
1: That was really cool. Um, So all the stuff with, uh, you know, as he starts to, you know, uncover what's going on and he's he's trying to catch these dealers and he realizes that they're tied up with both Shepard and Montone. I really love the deputy uh,
3: played by Montone. Um, Yeah. James B. Sicking. What's that from, from uh, James B. Sicking? He was the SWAT guy on Hill Street Blues. Oh, yeah, wow. Wow. Was a very big show for me at the same time. Yeah, so I was basically as excited to see him as I was Sean Connery.
2: He had that awesome jacket on Hill Street Blues, like that yes. tactical
3: jacket. He looked sick in that. Mm. He looked James James B. Sick in it. Mm, yeah and he's really good on uh in this too like he's a pretty convincing like i'm just trying to get along i'm just getting a little extra money but mostly just trying to get through the day here yeah fuck it up for me
1: Mm -hmm. um i so i i love this as it starts to pick up pace uh you know going into that chase we have the running.gif uh connery running.gif which Mm -hmm. is so awesome um and it was nice to see that they actually used that shot twice uh which i was like good keep doing it more of it um (laughs) And so he catches the one guy, and then um, that guy gets killed, as does Montone, uh, which I thought was pretty brutal with the autoerotic, mm-hmm. auto-erotic asphyxiation uh, setup up there. Um, but then Montone has left him the note about where to find the drugs, and he goes to find it, and he gets taken out by the other guy, except he has a fake collar, so he hasn't been choked to death.
2: The fake choking collar. Genius. Mm-hmm.
1: That's a bold Useful move. That's a have. dangerous move, right?
2: I mean, you, you know, your man at that point, you know, yeah. you know, I like that. He's like willing, he had, he had the foresight to defend against the garrot with the fake choking collar. Yeah. But on the <laughs> other hand, just couldn't be, couldn't be bothered with the concerns of shooting up a space station, right. like of just, just firing at will.
3: like inside. Well, I think he does a much better job than the two best guys they have. For
1: sure. uh, Yeah.
3: Which we'll get to later. He knows not to decompress himself. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. exactly. Um, But I I will say like, you know, language uh, and misogyny and general misanthropy aside, like he seems to be actually a very good cop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's agreed
2: on the, he's on the case. He's going to get his man.
1: So this is where the movie really shines. So he tells, you know, he goes back and reports to Shepard. He's going to take him down. And Shepard says, Marshall, you're dead. Um, and so we begin the countdown with the pros coming on the shuttle and they'd established the shuttle takes 70 hours to get there and comes once a week. Um, and so the countdown timer and that clock just running and the number of times they keep cutting back to it over and over again and how cut off he is, whether it's him going into the strip club and everyone kind of being silent and looking at him, um, yeah. his own team refusing to help. Yeah. It's just phenomenal.
3: Yeah. It's great. And that's that's right out of High Noon. That is the most direct High Noon homage. Mm. Uh, mm. But he also has time for racquetball, uh, which is good. Squash, um, maybe. Because, is it squash? Okay. All I know is that in the 70s and 80s, both because I was there, but also you could see in the movies, racquetball sw- slash yes. squash was a cutting edge sport that obviously they would have in the future. Yes. Yes. Totally. Uh Classic Wall Street scene later on. It's it's in a bunch of movies. Yep. Um the the uh, the fake golf, I thought, was in a lot of movies too, but I looked for it and couldn't find it any other places. But it, it must be in other places. Um, but yeah, in the future, obviously, we're all going to play racket sports in an enclosed space.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's all we'll have.
1: That's right. That's right. Uh, that and the strip club. Um, those will be your two outlets. Uh, well, this does have this. So this you uh, referred to this earlier, Peter, but when the doc comes and tries to talk him into leaving, and he says... I found out I was supposed to be something I didn't like.
3: That's what's in the program. That's my
1: rotten little part in the rotten machine. I don't like it. So I'm
3: going to find out if they're right.
1: Sure, <laughs> so I'm gonna find out. <laughs> that was awesome.
3: I love, your accent is awesome, I hope that <laughs> you Um That was dynamite, and yeah, his it's right out of like Jack Nicholson, Five Easy Pieces, or whatever. It's all that sort of seventies. I'm gonna fuck it, man. The man is trying to screw me, and I'm gonna because there's no reason for him to to be involved in this case. Like he's not gonna get any benefit out of it. And they say over and over, like, are you gonna? Do you think this is gonna solve anything? Yeah. No. Right. And and my wife and kids have already left me. Um and this, I do like that the they're like I think a day out before the yeah. before the bad guys come Yeah. she says, Do you want to go get drunk? And he says, Sure. Yeah. Cause because that you should definitely have a hangover where you're gonna fight assassins. Exactly.
1: <laughs> well that's one way to go. Um I, I did really like that is a long shot of him delivering that entire piece of dialogue, and he's really good in it. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah. great. Yeah. performance there. So now we get after all the buildup, right? We've got more countdowns. We've got him doing some prep work. You don't quite know what he's up to. His last call with Carol and Polly, which even though Polly sucks, I thought it was kind of touching um, for Connery's side of the performance there. But then the shuttle arrives early. And I love that. just that. and and it's just like a beacon in the black night. You don't even see the model until it gets up close for landing. It was awesome.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it looked cool. Um, I, I did feel like sort of the, maybe it was just, I was tired, but I was like ready for the guys to show up by the time. Like I was like, like when this, the countdown started, I was like 60 hours is long. Like I was like, <laughs> I would like it to be, I would like it to be more like thir- they'll be here in 30 minutes.
1: Well, when they, when they arrive and it's like the scene, it just keeps going with the sirens and he's loading the shotguns yeah. and the yeah, landing yeah, yeah. gear and then he's loading shotguns some more. Um, It's definitely taking its time. And Uh, he's like watching the people come off,
2: like, you know, slowly, (laughs) and some of them are going some way. I'm like, are we gonna follow these fucking people the baggage claim? Like, what are we doing here? Like, is this like, you know, like, this is a long, this is a lot of detail. Yeah, I
3: like that he's like, I'm I'm gonna figure out which are the two assassins.
1: Yeah. So, But you you have all of that buildup, but then once they get off, it's a bit of a letdown. So you have these two pros who are incredible, but both of them miss totally free shots. They're like literally in position, and they can't hit him.
3: Mm. Well, one has the walleye, which yeah. seems like a problem. He's got the, the beady walleye. Yeah. Um, but one, the, it's, uh, one guy I think is okay, but the guy who shoots himself out of the greenhouse, yeah, that should have been solved. Like he should have known that he was going to explode himself into space.
1: That's pretty silly, that, that first guy, or uh, the second the second guy. I do like dropping the the piece of metal um to do the trick, but um yeah. The assassin that he traps with the help of the doctor and I just love yes her helping and uh and, and so this guy with the giant mustache. So Jason, did you recognize PH Moriarty? No, who's PH Moriarty? That's the guy with the mustache. Dune 2000s Gurney Halleck. Oh, Goon 2000s
2: Gurney Halleck. I have another one for you. Please. I have another one for you. Did you recognize uh, the, the drug addict who gets shot when uh-huh. they, they open oh, the yeah, door yeah. and blow him away? Yeah. That is Steven Burkoff, uh-huh. who maybe most notably played Victor Maitland in Beverly Hills Cop. Okay. Oh. oh wow. um, but for our purposes, also played Stilgar in Children of Dune, the, the TV miniseries.
1: Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So there's a double Dune connection. Double here. Dune but-
3: connection. A- and by the way, we're, 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 we've, we've skipped over that, but that is a great, great scene. Yes. That drug addict. Yes. And James B. Seeking coming in behind him, and he pulls the sort of like, I had to get it on, man, thing. <laughs> <in the end>. <laughs> <laughs> After he blows him away. But that is just a really well done scene that would work in any in any setting. It doesn't matter that it's in space. It's got nothing to do with space. It's it's just a guy in a confined room. Yeah. And he, it's very intense. It's really good. It is very intense. Yeah.
1: It was, it had a real Roy Batty vibe to me, um, kind of like in a, in a slightly more unhinged, um, but for 11 year old age, just the idea of seeing, uh, like a naked woman on screen and then, you know, threat of weirdness going on, that just definitely blew my little fundamentalist mind, um, at the time. Mm-hmm. Wild shit. Um. So he takes out both of those guys. We had the deputy uh, who also turns against him. They struggle. They fight. He takes out the deputy. That guy gets tossed. Did
3: you recognize the deputy? Who is?
2: I did recognize the deputy. That's Clark Peters uh, who plays. Lester uh, Freeman. Yeah. Lester Freeman from The Wire. What? Yeah. Very young Clark Peters.
1: Holy shit. Oh my God. My God. It's full of stars. Wow, that is incredible. Yeah, I didn't recognize him. Uh, I mean, he, he was recognizable, but I didn't I didn't ID him. That is amazing.
2: We're building something here. <laughs> Conspiracy.
3: <laughs> yeah, it makes me um, wonder what so Clark f- Peter's life was like in between that movie and The Wire.
2: And The Wire? It <laughs> was things. a long desert.
1: Is that 15 <laughs> years, basically? Something like that? No. I mean, yeah. It's it's 20 plus, like- right?
2: something something long yeah a long time
1: good job clark um so the final uh element here he goes into the strip club you know he's kind of making his way he says shepherd sure. and he stares him down and he just says well fuck it and, and just punches him in the face uh i love that
2: oh fuck it <laughs> I'm not sure what that achieves, like who's the authority that's? Got- I mean, like, don't you think like the don't you think like the the corporation who's also sending like assassins or whatever would just be like, yeah, no, can we just get rid of this shitty cop who's like this try-yard? No, that's, that's and- the
3: thing I, it, it, it caught me up this time and then I, I went back and, and again listened. they're doing he, Shepard and his guys are doing like this mafia under guys, right? the nose of the corporation, uh, but they're, they're right. doing it on the side. They're going right. to get in trouble if they get found out. They're doing it everywhere and the corporation either doesn't know or is turning a blind eye, but this is there. He's obviously going to be in trouble one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But yeah. I mean, I took it as this was like the space mafia kind of worming their way in and and making profits off of the corporation um, and, and being successful in the midst of it. Yeah. That. I like it. I like it. Anything we it.
2: missed. I mean, just again, like the shooting Of the shooting in space, like just the shooting in the space station, Mm -hmm. I think (laughs) maybe like it sort of is like kind of a harbinger of the some things in here don't react well to bullets, you know. Like it's like the like (laughs) like totally don't don't shoot the space station.
3: Um so I Googled shotguns in space, they they do work. That's what yeah, I Googled
2: shotguns in space too. I also I love that because like I I also was like wait does it actually work if you fire a gun in space and it does because the, the bullet's come with their own oxidizer is the explanation. Right.
3: But the explosive decompression is a myth according to Wikipedia. Yes. Your face does not This blow. is a long
2: running segment. This uh, is a long running segment on Dune Pod. We cover this every time there's Really? A I've listened to so much Dune Pod. I can't believe I missed this. I can't. It's been a while since our last explosive We decompression. talked about it in
1: Black in Black Hole I think was the last time we talked about it. But to,
2: just, it. to just to just to revisit Uh, the difference between being in a pressurized environment (laughs) at one atmosphere and the vacuum of space is, which is zero is only one atmosphere, which it turns out is not that big of a pressure differential. And so if you were to open the airlock, you, the air would just kind of like go out, but not in this giant explosive way. Um, and if you were exposed to the vacuum of space, you would not die instantly. What you die of is, is of, of asphyxia because you can't hold the air in your lungs. So your, your, your face explodes. Your face does not explode. Yeah. (laughs) You do not freeze. It doesn't feel that cold. You don't actually explode, but you die within like 20 seconds to a minute because you
3: can't breathe at all. Yeah, definitely don't do it. it.
2: Don't
3: Don't do it,
1: (laughs) but you could survive it. Speaking of, did you see like Artemis 1 is getting ready to launch?
3: Oh,
2: really? Yes. The moon one?
1: It's going to go around the moon, and then they're going to do Artemis 2 and 3, and then they're supposed to, like, the target is to get humans back on the moon in 25. Um, Although they did just determine that there's no one chain of command that manages the entire project, including coordination between SpaceX and SLS and Boeing and whatever Ugh. those people So
2: Yeah, we're gonna get there and we're gonna find out that the Chinese have already built like a whole city. This is what's gonna
3: happen. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're gonna get there. And it's gonna be like, hello. Guys, p- p- 14% of New York City is not vaccinated for polio. Right. right. So <laughs> I am not fully convinced that we have what it takes. Yeah, we do not have the right stuff.
2: We don't even have <laughs> the right
3: the the wrong stuff. Oh man, uh, uh, Peter. Who
1: would Tilda Swinton play?
3: Uh, she's got to swap out for the kid. Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> right. It just instantly makes it a much she can be. She can be a surly teen. I'm sure she can play like a sullen, you know, 17 year old of of either gender and or whatever gender you want. And it's an instant improvement. But yeah, with the
1: same good. dubbing, though.
3: Sure. <laughs> yeah, Jason.
1: Good. Uh, maybe
2: Peter Boyle. Maybe she plays the mm. maybe she plays the boss of the town. It would be sort of like a snow piercer reprise. Mm-hmm. Um I think it would be great.
1: I'm going with Dr. Lazarus.
2: Yeah, that's not a bad choice either. That's mm. not a bad choice either. Yeah. Although if, if Sean Connery tried to beat up Tilda Swinton, I would lead an <laughs> army to stop it. Kick
3: your nasty ass. You no, know, she would not. <laughs> Don't, you're not that kicking
2: at all. my Tilda. <laughs> not on my watch.
3: <laughs>
1: Peter, we did it.
3: Yeah. We did it. We uh, no did, thanks to Spectrum, but we did it. We did it. Yeah. Listen, uh, what can you do?
1: What can you do? Someday, someday we, you know, the corporations will rule and, uh, and the network will be good uh, and, and we'll all be happy. Peter, um, so people can catch you on Vox. People can catch you on Recode Media Podcast available wherever you listen to your podcasts. Anything else you want to plug?
3: Thank you, gentlemen. No, we're good. Thank you for having me on. Welcome back from vacation, and I hope to see you again. Okay, coming soon, Peter. Coming back
1: for uh, what did we say? Uh, out of something sight, something really
3: good. Something out of really sight, if, we, if that's what we decided, yeah. Either or, That'd or be both. great. I love, I love out of sight. Oh my god,
1: C- coming. Yeah, soon. Yeah, that that Clooney
3: versus versus uh, Michael Clayton Clooney is is, is the face. I want to
2: do an out of sight network. Back to back week because he because Clooney references Network in Whoa. the trunk scene, um. So that's
3: my, that's my I've never pitch. seen Network. Wild. I've never. You seen You should Network. do a whole run of Elmore Leonard, and then you should make room for Justified too. Yeah.
1: Wow! Holy shit! What a discussion.
2: So great to have Peter on, man. Just, Peter
1: is incredible.
2: Uh, he he's so knowledgeable. Loves this movie. Um, I can't wait for him to come back.
1: That media streaming segment up top was incredible.
2: Yeah, very insightful. He really. Uh, it's 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 great because it's like it's actually there's not that many people on Peter's beat who are like doing the the tech media stuff um, mm. where it is like you know it's the media side of like how the business works, but it's obviously from like a uh, an industry and a tech industry perspective. It's it's just great.
1: Mm. I'll also shout out um, for folks uh, to check out, I have done work over the last couple of years with Nell Thomas, who is the chief technology mm-hmm. officer of the DNC, and I connected her with Peter and they did an incredible interview. It was like 45 minutes long. Like Peter really got into it. Um, and it's super fascinating about misinformation and organization and why we get all the text messages that we get that are super annoying and, mm-hmm. and you know what the DNC is trying to do to make things better. Yeah. Um, so really, really fantastic conversation. Folks should check that out. Yep. All right. Well, listen, how about if we get into some letters? Letters. First of all, it occurs to me, you may not know, dear listener... You can send us letters. Yeah. Like we accept letters from more than just Corey and Kev. Yeah. Who are dearest friends of the pod. So if you want to hear your voice on the podcast or just send us your thoughts, you can reach us at letters at dunepod.com. You can just send us a letter or you can record a voice message and send it over to us. Or you can just call us and leave us a voicemail at 415-534-5211. Let us hear from you. We would love to hear what, what you like uh, and what you would like to hear more of, other movies you want to check out, Any anything that, that seems good to you. So first letter is, it says, Outland, Kev's question from Kev. Hey, guys. For the first time since the Escape from New York episode, Kev's question is being sent in writing. Oh. I wish I could have recorded something, but unfortunately, after two and a half years, I've been taken down by... Read with dramatic emphasis the novel Coronavirus. (laughs) Yes. Don't worry, I'm doing all right, but I blame the Dune Pod vacation curse. Yes. You should. Sorry. Seriously, though, Kev's question this week concerns Outland's reputation as a sci fi retelling of High Noon. If you were going to retell a classic story, what would it be and how would you do it? Would you take a Shakespeare play and shoot it into space like Forbidden Planet? Or would you take a story from space, maybe a famous one, about the dangers of messianic figures and put it in a new setting? On that note, in your answer, feel free to use Dune. Thanks, Kev. Anyway, hope you guys are doing fantastic. Anyway, hope you guys are doing all right. (laughs) Much love to Peter as well, who is not only a fantastic journalist and podcaster, but a top-tier Dune podcast, your friend in time, Kev. Once again, it's Kev's Questions.
2: Yes, we hope Kev recovers well. Mm. Kev was unfortunately afflicted with the Dune pod curse. Uh, but he's in he's in our Discord right now and he praises your reading of uh the dramatic emphasis. So good work. Mm. Um it may be because I've been on this religious studies bent lately, uh, looking at the TikToks of theology and religion PhD Dan McClellan. Uh, somewhat obsessively hmm. um, but it may also be uh, because I read Hyperion not too that long ago Whoa. but a, sto- a story that I think you could do in a sci-fi setting uh, and Hyperion does in a sci-fi setting um, is the binding of Isaac uh, and like you know the God tells Abraham he has to sacrifice Isaac uh, and and stops him at the last minute I think that's like a really wild story <laughs> mm. and one and one that I think you could do in like a you could totally do in like a survivalist like you know space mission go wrong with like a you know with, with like a you know father and a son or whatever um mm. so I'd like to, I'd like to see that the binding of Isaac
1: nice space I, version I guess I'll go with I guess I'll go with biblical as well I've always liked uh the story of Noah mm. and I think it'd be really cool to take that and do that kind of like an epic
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, like an film. escape from a planet.
1: Like a film version uh, type type thing.
2: That would be really cool. Has that ever been done like uh, where uh, like a planet is dying and like instead of it, like we have to go and restart the sun. Right. Where we just have to get everyone off the planet.
1: Uh, yes. Yeah. What it's is been, like, it? Like lo- loading up everybody on- onto like the seed ship or the generational ship. I That's a good go. one. Didn't they do like yeah. Life, what was that? Uh wasn't that a Pattinson movie?
2: Robert Pattinson?
1: Life. Uh yeah. what's that? Okay, Wally. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Wally's Wally. true.
2: Yeah, Wally's Wally's a good example.
1: High life. There we go. It's yeah. kind of
2: Wally's about like the return, but
1: Nice. I would also like to see, just since you freed me to to do Dune, uh, Kev, I'd like to see Dune in a kind of like true Shakespearean fashion. Like let's just see Mm. it grounded on earth. You Mm. don't need, you don't need actual space stuff. Uh, and I'd like to see Patrick Stewart, you know, kind of getting in there Mm. maybe as the, as the emperor.
2: Great question. Great question. COVID didn't, COVID didn't kill his question.
1: No, no. The brain is still working. The brain's still there. so, So that's good news. Hey, Guess who we just uh, are about to hear from? Corey. Yes. Yes. I love the cheering. All right, here we go, Corey.
0: Hey, it is Corey from Austin, Texas,
1: calling in about Outland
0: with Sean Connery from 1981. You know what the secret is about Outland? It's not really Sean Connery. It's Peter fucking Boyle. That dude Mm -hmm. can play the greatest shit heels ever. He should teach a master class on being like such a despicable jackass. Anyway, I love Peter Boyle in this movie. I also love Sean Connery in this movie. And you know what else I love about this movie? Space smoking. Man, I love people smoking in space. I don't know what it is. There's something really cool about it. Um, Obviously, this movie like exists in the same universe as Alien. They share so many aesthetics. It's crazy. It looks like I, that could just be a great double feature for that working class um, you know space type movie whatever um, <laughs> yeah I love Outlands um, Tilda Swinton who would she play I think Dr. Lazarus would be really good for her and then really quick I know my voicemails are always so long I'm so sorry so one of my uncles used to be an actor in Stuntman oh, yes. and his most memorable role is as the shooter in the tree who shoots uh, Garp's mom in The World According to Garp, one of my favorite movies. Uh, anyway, his name is John Cochran. I had heard he did stunts for Outland. I don't see him in the credits anywhere. So I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, I don't know how that goes. When I look him up on IMDb he's passed away so I can't ask him. Um, when I look him up on IMDb there's a couple of John Cochrans listed and they're both don't have all the stuff. And I know one of them, since cause he was also in the made for TV show movie called muggable Mary. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that. He played like the asshole cop trainee guy who gets judo kicked in the nuts. Um, I'll put i I'll post it in discord. Anyway, started to ramble. My uncle maybe was an outland. I don't know. All right. <laughs> you guys are great. Talk to you next week. Bye.
1: Muggable uh, Mary does not sound like a good title for. No, I don't
2: know that one. I don't know that one. <laughs> I've been asking when Corey's gonna get um now that we have our, our chief emoji officer Derek uh mm. doing doing these amazing stickers every week, uh there's really a number of number of pieces of art that Corey could have uh engraved on his body. And I'm oh. excited. I'm excited for when that when that final, when he finally makes the ultimate commitment to us.
1: Oh my god, it could happen, could just be days away. Yeah. Jason, we did it. Yeah. We did it. We made it. We're back.
2: We're back. We survived, uh, so to speak. I mean, we're not a hundred percent intact. <laughs> uh, you know, like we're we're okay. We're <laughs> we're weakened. We're aging.
1: We're all it's fine. Like, how are how are you?
2: <laughs> we're on the downslope of life, but we're here. Um,
1: we're taking yeah. wins. We'll collect them. What do you have to plug? I want to plug.
2: Um, I was in LA and I went and saw the first live. Show I've seen in three years since the pandemic. Yeah, Um, and it was just you and Crystal, just me, because the baby was a poop machine, so she couldn't go. (laughs) Uh, And so I went into L.A. and I saw Mike Birbiglia as the old man in the pool. Oh yeah, it's um, great. Which is performing? Yeah, I was performing in L.A. um, and it's a great follow-up to. His last special, which is uh, the new one, which Mm -hmm. you can watch on Netflix. Mm -hmm. Uh, The new one was about the birth of his daughter, Una, Mm -hmm. uh, and about becoming a father. And I think it's like a great, um, a great, like, sort of, you know, view on fatherhood and what it's like to become a parent and all the concerns you have about leading into it. It's just great. I think it's shocking
1: that it would resonate with guys our age. uh, Yeah, no, uh, it's it's so it's kind
2: of crazy because Burbigli is basically the same age as I am. Um, and like, yeah, he had his, he had a kid, like, you know, his, his daughter's seven. So he had kids like four years before me. Uh, and like he did this, he did this whole special about having kids. I think is really resonant and really connected with me. And then his next one, the old man in the pool is really about mortality and death. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, like it's, it's so good because like, I, that's what I think about all the time now is death. Like, as I was just joking about being on the downslope, like I think about dying all the time now that I've had kids. <laughs> Um, and it's about that, but it's funny. It's funny as hell. And it's just, it's actually, I think probably his densest comedy special, like the jokes per minute are incredibly high. Um, And you can tell
1: like every single line of dialogue is perfectly scripted, right? It's like Sorkin, like every, you know, it's all been honed to a diamond.
2: Exactly. Yeah. It's really been whittled. Um, so Mm. that one's in LA. It is also traveling though. It's in LA for another two weeks. Um, and then is going somewhere else. Uh, but yeah, you should check it out.
1: Yeah. Well, all I can say is Mike, come home. Come <laughs> he's, not,
2: he's not listening to this.
1: We'll record Mike. Anytime we will record, get on the pod. <laughs> he's not listening to this pod. <laughs> <laughs> is anyone.
2: Yeah, I mean he might eventually, but like I don't know. We, we have to. I'm not sure. We could do. We could do um, his movie. What we, we do his movie. No, no. I
1: let him pick some trash. We'll pick whatever you want, Mike. We don't have to talk about your stuff. Whatever you like, All right. my friend
2: whatever you want, Mike. We'll do it.
1: There we go. All right. Now I will inappropriately begin tweeting until we succeed. And that's it for this episode. I want to thank Jason and Peter for an amazing conversation. Next week, God, I am stoked. We are doing the incredible Conan the Barbarian, the movie that put a young Arnold Schwarzenegger on the path to legend. If you're enjoying the show, we need your help. Take a minute to leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast, or just tell your friends about us, because it really does help new listeners find the show. We also have a Discord server where you can hang out with us online whenever you want. A link is in the show notes. DunePod is a tape deck podcast, John, a production of H Industries. Our artwork is by Catcher, and our theme music was composed by Toby Forsman of Whipsong Music. Transcripts provided by Sophie Shin. The episode was edited by Megan Hayward of Edit Audio and produced by me, H. Thanks for listening, and we'll see everybody next week.